0: Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Remind us to think of you uh, as the giver of all things. We'd ask that you would remind us to thank you as the giver of all things. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, even my wife was stunned when she saw the sermon notes this morning. She said, we'll be out of here in five minutes. <laughs> you don't seem to realize the nature of the professional ministry. It's how far down the page it goes that determines the time. That's why you blow this text up really big, I like think 38 point or something like that, to make sure it'll last a half an hour minimum. You say, ah, oh, man. Years ago, I, I preached a sermon, probably eight or nine years ago, on the benedictions in the New Testament. I really, really enjoyed doing it. I really enjoyed those portions of the various apostolic writings where something, a blessing is given towards the end of the book. The one I like, of course, the best is the Jude, verse 24. Um, one, we have it at the end of our um, communion uh, service. I grew up with it in the King James, so whenever I say it, I, I'm saying it as my father always said it, and, and uh, certain words are different. But I was looking at it, and as I looked at it this morning, um, and these are the last two verses of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the presence of his glory, with rejoicing, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's a great sentence. Now, there's all sorts of stumbling blocks in the sentence. There are all sorts of things that we can focus on, angles we can look at it from. Um, But I was thinking of it in terms of what we preached on last week out of Acts 26. Um, And the center point was Paul's remark uh, that he was commissioned to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. And we asked in that uh, uh, session about whether we have had our eyes open whether we have seen things have we um, moved on from self you know how we talked about the power of Satan and sometimes people think it's either witchcraft or rock and roll Um, but you know how Satan tempts you you know how he tempted the Christ It's always appealing to yourself. Yourself is the the religion that Satan would use his power to get you to observe. So I was looking at it in those terms that the, the, the power of Satan to God was that shift from the power, the religion of yourself to the religion of God. Now, It's difficult. Um, there's some guys that come over during the week in the afternoon. Greg will come over, Black Kenny will come over, John will come over, Drew will come over. Now Jack Connect has been coming over. We were talking, at some one of those days it was uh, talking about uh, the lack of self-knowledge. People don't really as you know, I believe they don't taste their food. I believe they don't see what's around them. I, don't, I believe they don't know themselves. They, they don't process what in Hades is going on. The Christian has to. Because we're having to get to, if the God is this ultimate true, real, creating power in the universe, we're getting to the most true Thing by getting in, into him. And if we don't know what it is we're even looking at, we're going to be making all sorts of incorrect decisions. If our eyes are closed, there's not any way we're going to see. So as Christians, we come to church so we, because we, we think of ourselves as Christians or at least seeking spiritual things. Um, how open are your eyes What have you seen? How effective in moving you from self to God has it been? A lot of people, a lot of people are, um, a lot of people are um, uh, concerned at the end result of the, um, um, the struggle they have over their morality. The struggle they have over the, the sins that re, re-enter their lives. They're selfish. Um, whose grandkid is that? Not, not mine. Your, your grandkid? No, no, yours. Um, people come to counselors, or they they say, I got a real trouble with this, or I have a real trouble with that. Well, sometimes it's good for us to back up a little bit. See whether our eyes have been opened, whether we've understood that we've turned from darkness to light. And then, because of that, we are able to be turned from the power of Satan to God. Because this statement here at the end of Jude is this blessing, a benediction, means just good words. And that's what these are good words. You're granting good words. You're giving, in some way, a blessing with these good words. It is structured to claim, you might say, a very poetic rendition of the good words because that's how you keep it tight whenever you oppose a false structure to your prose. It tightens it up, makes it more beautiful than to say it if you can achieve the tight demand of the form but you need to break it apart into what the sentence says so you know what's going on here with Jude. If you break it apart into the sentence, it is, now, to God be the glory, and the majesty, dominion, and authority. That's what it says. When it says, now to him, then you skip the next phrase, then he identifies the hymn, to the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. That's what He is blessed. That is what He's granting. That is what He's stating. He's saying, from my vantage point in the immediate moment, the now, to Him, I am rendering to Him these good words. Not that God needs my words to be glorified or to be majestic to have dominion or authority. I'm not conferring it on him. I'm recognizing it in myself. I am the other side of that coin. I am the recipient of his glory, the recipient of his majesty, his dominion, his authority. I do what he says. Because that's what someone who is delivered from the power of Satan to God goes through. So this blessing, this benediction, is speaking of that end point where we all should have gotten coming to Christ. But maybe we came to Christ, you know, we were six at a Southern Baptist church, our eyes were barely open, your father leaned over to you, and, do you think you want to walk the aisle this morning, son? And, ah, no, I would white knuckle it on the... I never walked the aisle, I never did. I think I'm a pretty strong person now it because I, I was in a Baptist church where they had an altar call in the morning, in the evening and probably would have called you up on the phone and giving an altar call if you could have figured out a way to do it and you just have to hang on to the railing in front of you, which I did because it was right at the top of the balcony and we were allowed to sit up in the balcony until I dropped a hymnal on the mayor um, then we weren't allowed to sit in the balcony anymore but you always could grab the pew in front of you and just hang on because they'd sing that song many too many times it was very soft playing yes I see that hand that's cheap I see that hand they be lying you know if somebody walked the aisle but I never did I waited until uh, we moved to uh, Michigan my parents wanted to join another Baptist church transferred their membership oh it turns out Evan has not been baptized yet well, we'll just have to baptize you. So I never had to walk the aisle. I just got baptized. I was a godless, godless heathen. So I was somewhere in this. Whatever the case you have, your eyes are X degree open. What have you seen? Have you seen yourself adequately? Are you pretty pleased with yourself? Because you don't, if you don't see your sin, it's not merely it's inaccurate, because you are a sinner. It should have a different opinion of you and a different opinion of the task at hand. Giving up yourself is really unnecessary. I'm pretty good. When you speak of your experience, not merely writing your testimony, I'd I'd encourage you to do so just so you have it, so you can email it to people, just so you can print it out and leave it around or send it to someone, or you describe what you came to, how your eyes were opened, how the gospel was made clear to you and the truth of what God has done, and then called you to that repentance that delivered you from the power of Satan and gave you to the power of God. How would you speak of it? Now some people here might not look at this and go, why is the type so big? Why did you make it in upper and lower case fonts? Why did you use Gaudi old style? Why does it talk that funny way? Well, you're engineers or you're gingers and you have no soul. I mean, God loves you. He died for you, but this is beautiful. This is beautiful. And the beauty of it, I would encourage you to not skip over. The the danger really is to the people who see the beauty. Those of you who don't see the beauty, you can see the content and be preserved some way from this. Because an awful lot of people like the beauty of a benediction because they like the resonant, unctuous tones of the vicar as he raises his hand and says, Now to him who is able to keep us from falling. You like the cadence, you like the alliteration, you like the imagery, you could spend your time finding churches all over the land that gave you all the unction you could possibly want. But we're not talking about blessing the benediction, it's not the benediction that will do anything for you. It is the God. I have known some people who loved poetry, and because they loved poetry, certain romantic poems, whether it's by John Donne or by William Shakespeare or whomever would write a romantic poem, they love those too. She walks in beauty like the night, something like that. People who love poetry could have gone to their grave never loving a woman. Because it's the woman. The guy who's writing the poem isn't trying to necessarily enter oh, he might be that conceited that he's trying to enter history with the quality of his poem. But he's really moved by the woman. It's about our God. It's not about benedictions. You want to be able to put what you have discovered about your path to God into words, decent words. And I would recommend, and I've talked a lot to many people about this, (coughs) say your best friend forever, one of your besties is getting married, and they've asked you to give a toast. And I will have to kill you. (coughs) Because that's what Americans do when they're asked to give a toast for their bestie at a wedding. They will talk nonsense for half an hour. And that's not what we want. We, we, we have a God. We sing hymns. We write poems. We give benedictions because some things deserve the greater voice than we're giving it. But we don't want to worship the voice. But the voice, the quality of the voice, generates energy to the meaning. You've perhaps heard a love song or read a love poem that made you cry. You don't even know the people it's about. You don't know the guy who wrote it. You don't know the woman it's about. And, uh, but here you are sobbing like a girl because it's just too good. Now, I don't react that way to love poems. I, I get a little worked up at uh, Tennyson's Charge of the Light Brigade. It's just something. The horses. The glory. I get worked up. Every time I read it, I don't shed a tear, but I do, I, I do feel the emotion. On the Light Brigade. We know that this generates, we know this part part of this is your ability to speak to what is in you. Did your eyes get opened? Did you get turned from darkness to light? And from the power of Satan to God in my heavens your soul was saved. You need to speak of it. She's beautiful. You're in love. Write a poem. Speak of it highly because you want this to have an energy about what it is you're about as a Christian. We're not just Americans who are churchy. We're not just Americans who, who like this club of reasonably cool young people, youngish people, old people. now to him to the only God to the only God who is the Savior our Savior through Jesus Christ who is our Lord and you begin to realize that as you think of this two verse section your mind is going to other places Romans 10 anyone if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you should be saved He is our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is our God. So as I look back at this, actually what is said, not just this trimmed out sentence, now to God glory, if you wanted to say that, now to God glory. What are the things that have appeared to the Jew As evoking that. Now to him, the him is not just God, but it's the him who is able to keep you from falling. Because you had your eyes opened as to who you were. You were a sinner of some degree. Christ is the answer to the guilt of your sins and grace for you in the pursuance of holiness. He is able to I am going to say this about my God because he's the kind of God who can keep me from falling. And if you stop and you think about elements, you know, I think of, my mind automatically kicked out Romans 14 where it says, um, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the master is able to make him stand. You have the passage in Corinthians 10, somewhere in the Bible. No one, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength. But with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He is able to keep you from falling. Not, we're not talking justification. I know that the broken Christians and, and theologically accurate Christians love to run around saying there is no righteousness but Christ. But our Christ is here to make us righteous, as it says in 1 John, he who does right is righteous. That's what he is able to keep you from getting into sin. Keep you from falling. And, in the end result, to present you without blemish. Not to the church. We can all fake goodness enough to present, you know, show up here, right? You just iron your pants and show up. Just being here alone. You know, oh, they're doing well with the Lord. They're at church. We could, we could be easily fooled by one another. We're not here to present to the elders and the bishops how righteous you are. He wants to present you unfallen, unblemished, before the presence of His glory. This is before God. The passage I thought when, it, when that came up was out of 1 John somewhere. Let's see. <clears throat> now, little children, this is 1 John 2 28. Now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence. And not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who does right is born of him. This is our, this is our path. This is what our eyes were opened to see. This is what information we were given to resolve. And this is the God to which we set ourselves or we were set free from ourselves, which was satanic in its nature. This is my God. He's able to keep me from falling. He's able to keep me holy. Talks about the church being presented to Himself as a bride in Ephesians 5, where a bride without spot or blemish, washed with the water of the Word. You see, this is what my God's about, and that's why, because my God is about that, that's what His ability is. I am recognizing, I am saying something deep, poetic, and intensified because of its deep. Poetic nature should be a deep poetic truth about you and your thoughts, your beliefs. I mean, it, you can write, you know that. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever read a romantic novel. I have read some. And uh, there are the good ones and there are the cheap ones. And the cheap ones, I think, are done by computers because they know there are five points that you have to go through. He has to be cold and uncaring. She has to be spicy and, you know, you, you go through the you know, the thing and, and sometimes the writing will get good and sometimes it will be bad. But you kind of, you know, if somebody just goes home, hasn't dated a girl in 20 years. So I'm gonna write a love poem this afternoon. I'm just gonna imagine that okay, this is what you have to, you have to rhyme spoon with June. You gotta you gotta do stuff. You gotta really work the 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 warmth in the woman's heart if she would, uh, any woman should read it and go, Oh, he was loved greatly. Well, there was no girl in your mind at all. We're not looking for that. We're looking for the real expression, the real expression, a heightened expression of what you believe. Do you think of your Christianity as the path to holiness? Uh, Melissa and I have done marriage seminars or or child-rearing seminars. One of the basic things we stress is the default in your household has to be holiness. You're either being holy or you are confessing sin so that you can be restored to holiness. But holiness needs to be the presumption. We have a religion where our God is able to keep us from getting into sin. He doesn't want us to sin. I'm writing these things to you, my brethren, that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So we know we've got both sides. God wants us to do right. He wants to forgive us when we do wrong. But we have to be about being right before him. Because when I stand at the end of this, you know, I I like the book of Jude. It's very short, a lot of weird stuff in it. You get to the end of that, you're feeling, you know, kind of strong about the the reality of your faith, and you, Jude, lands on you with this now to Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish before the presence of His glory with rejoicing. You gotta, you gotta have everything worked in here. Two verses, half hour sermon, and we're not done yet, we're not even half with rejoicing. He is the only God. Too many times because you're not on board with this doctrine you know this is the doctrine of the church. Yes, I know that Jesus he's able to keep us from falling and sometimes when you want to fall, Jesus gets in the way and the whole idea of I don't want to even think about Jesus when I want to fall, when I want to be blemished. And I'm not even a point of rejoicing about holiness. I've known people to argue with me and I, and I think this is just strange. Argue with me about rejoicing. As if you can't expect me to want to be happy. Oh uh, yeah, I, I thought I, I could. I think Aristotle could too. I mean, we, 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 all the great minds of human history have, except for the nihilists, probably expect that happiness is the end desire of all men of all things. Now, I, I, I think it's peace, which is a sense state of ease, a state of happiness. But I know Christians who will argue, I don't have to be joyful. Well, don't you want to be? You don't even have to be good. I understand that. You could be a murderer. But don't you want to be joyful? Do we want this life we have just declared? If not, then you go back and see if your eyes are open. You haven't realized the problem. Maybe you had a little bump in life and maybe your life's not turning out so you thought about religion a little bit and you started going to a church and it happened to be all souls and, and, it, and, it, and here it is, they, they're talking like if they believe it. This is what a believer believes. This is what a believer blesses God for. He's able to keep me from sin, and when he presents me before himself in holiness, it'll be with rejoicing. To the only God. That's always a... That's really the difficulty... It really only comes down to a problem when, you know, God, you know, say, I want to wear my red t-shirt today, and God, you look at God and he doesn't have no opinion. i got no opinion about red t-shirts. You can go ahead and do that. You are delegated with the authority. A lot of things we're allowed to do. Pick our fashion, pick our jobs, pick a lot of things. Sometimes our desire to pick things or guide what we do starts to walk over into what he is in charge of. He said, I can let you, let you pick your t-shirt. But now we're talking about bigger things, and uh, I'm in charge of those. He's the only God. And until you decide that, until you drop the power of Satan and move to God, through the salvation of Jesus Christ our Lord, I can't even, I can't even really claim to recognize why. The why is that I'm blessing him, the God, with glory, majesty, dominion, and power. That was King James. Dominion and authority. For me to bless that, for me to bless that, I really have to believe it. And I really have to not, there are two, two, Two fronts on this. You have to understand that something is higher than you, considerably higher than you, which I could do because I was in the military, and uh, some of the rest of you were in the military. James remembers the Navy. Probably wakes up screaming at night like we all do, but uh, you know that I grew up. With, I grew up with the Navy. I grew up with Annapolis, Maryland, and midshipmen graduating into the officer corps people hanging around the house with funny scrambled eggs on their hat you know and they were it was Admiral so-and-so my father when I was in Pensacola said hey on the phone hey Vice Admiral Cagle is the commanding officer at Pensacola stop in and see him I was an airman apprentice I think it's two stripes two two little stripes, and I'm an Apprentice. and Apprentice. I was supposed to walk down to the Admiral's quarters, which had a flag out front with three stars on it. And I was supposed to say, hi, Jim Wilson says hi, I'm his kid. I said, not doing it. I disobeyed my father. Vice Admiral Cagle was a Christian man. But, you know, when authority exists in your world, You have a, first choice is, does authority other than you exist in your world? Where you know, even if you don't agree with them, you have to do what they say. Second, did you discover, did you discover that they are totally wise and good? Good totally capable to the position they're in. That's what we have in our God. Sometimes you get it in a boss, sometimes you get it in a commanding officer, sometimes you get it in a husband or a parent. You not only say, they're above me, I'm glad they're above me. Because you you are speaking the poetry of your belief. You're going to say, I'm going to bless this with me declaring... Confess with my lips that Jesus is Lord. Confess with my lips that glory belongs to God. Majesty belongs to God. Occasionally, as I've met somebody, usually a young person, uh, I introduced myself and let them know they could call me your majesty. Now everybody, oh, 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 oh that's really funny because there's no way you're majestic. Nobody gets called your majesty. Barely Elizabeth II gets called your majesty. We know that counts when it comes across our lips. We know that we are naming something of pretty big deal importance. We didn't just say, remember, this is the God who is able to keep you from falling and present you blameless with rejoicing in his presence, by his standard. And I am saying he's got the uh, authority over those things. He has got the dominion over those things. I am viewing him through a lens of glory, the, the light of his goodness, the weight of his being. Like I pointed out before, this is not justification. This is not the forgiveness you were given in the cross of Jesus Christ. This is not the imputed righteousness. This is holiness. This is what you dwell in. You are are saying, I have a great God because holiness is at his disposal if it is at mine. If I am ready to sing the praises of God's holiness in me, he's able to keep me from falling. You see it in some of the other, I I, I pulled out when I went to the sermon on the other benedictions, I pulled out a couple others, and here they're here at the bottom on the left-hand side. Hebrews 13, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. They're about the Christian life. He is able to equip you to do good, keep you from falling, present you without blemish. You you should be clasping your pudgy fingers together and running around in a state of glee singing his praises unless of course you're an engineer or a ginger in which case you could have it just be direct talk but you've got to express the thing you might not be able to care or see the flavor of words and I don't even know how it sounds in Greek this is English beauty this is not Greek beauty but you ought to just like when you hear without any. Have you ever heard a story where uh, just the facts alone brought tears to your eyes? Or just made you happy to hear that it happened and there wasn't any, you know, working the crowd up? You know what those are, right? That's what you can. If you don't care for English literature or English poetry, great. Do we care? this much. Usually uh, my wife was talking with some other women in the library the other couple weeks ago, I think it was, about child performances. And I started looking up child performances on the internets. I don't quite understand this. I did look up a Russian kid, five years old, playing classical piano in front of an orchestra, five years old. you ought got to be ashamed of yourselves. The Russians are way ahead. And then another Russian kid, no fingers playing piano. No fingers. Zero fingers. Stumps playing piano. Get the lead out. Get lessons. Do something. Now, I'm not moved emotionally by it, but some women, Leslie loves to train little kids singing and the like, and a little kid doing a great job on a thing is just, it moves her. Just the concept of it. You could probably just tell her that a kid did it and she'd cry. We're all Christians. We might not share the same thing. Some people, you know, when they, was it Philadelphia Eagles won the last Super Bowl? I know some people from Philadelphia and they're still emotional about it. We know what that's like. We're Christians. We should know what this is like. It's. It's moving just for its content, not for its wording. The wording just spins that glory up harder. It just says, mm, we're going to intensify this. We're going we're to put some English on it. <laughs> it see what I did there? It's kind of a pun. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him, who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In case you sometimes wonder if the hyperbole is too much, you know, how Jude is just going to town, what's he saying, you know, blameless, without flaw, without stumbling one time between now and the grave. Are you kidding me? And then the other benediction, just to insult you, says more than you can actually ask or think. The hyperbole is well within your confines of you asking and thinking. I'm going to give you more than that. That's what my God is capable of. That's why we speak. That's why we sing hymns. It's not because it Christians always did it, you know, we, we, we know that we are moved inside your culture to declare your Christ somehow with something transcendent. How can I? Some people can sing, I could carry a tune, and enjoy the singing of it. Some people listen to the beauty of the singing, and, and, and they may weep, but they can't sing. But we're addressing our belief. What is it? Who is our God? What is he about in us? Do we have our eyes open to it? Have we been illumined to what the Christian life is about? And have we spoken in any way of how we've been set free from Satan? We have been set free from the power of Satan. And we've been given to the power of God. And again, we should be skipping and frolicking through the Arcadian wood, singing his praises. And speaking of him with this kind of height, before all time, and now, and forever. Then it says, Amen. And that's when you pretend for a moment that you're in a black church say amen I said now pretending that you're in a black church I know you're white I know this is hard you're not allowed to say anything during services the pastor just said say amen Amen. thank you let's thank God dear Lord God we are grateful you've been good to us we trust that we would live in goodness before you